Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure podcast, where we talk way too long about a subject and just give you the best parts. I'm K.R. King, and as always, I'm with Daniel Norton. How are you doing today, K.R.? Pretty good, and I, I really like this topic today, which is the do's and don'ts of splitting up a party. So one topic that you hear a lot, or one of these things you hear is GM advice, right, is don't split the party. But I've been listening to your campaign log, and I see that your party has been split. And in my current campaign, my party is split. So I thought we could talk about that a little bit, like why you might want to do it uh, or not, and how you can actually make it work. Yeah, I agree that the, the reasons that people will say don't split the party are all the pitfalls of that. And, but in, in terms of, I think, playing D&D, group dynamics, I think storytelling, there's a tradition of splitting parties of two, you know, and we're, we're following a group and two go this way and three go that way or whatever. There's a, it, it's just common if you're attacking someplace to split off and go from different angles. There are reasons to split the party, but the pitfalls, of course, are now you're just running with, because you as a GM can only run one at a time. You can't run them both. You can't just go one turn, one turn or whatever. You got to run them for a certain amount of time, then go back to the other group for a certain amount of time. And so to me, the splitting the party comes down to how you handle the mechanics of that in terms of player interest, right? They're sitting at a table or they're online. And I think, and you've pointed this out too, that there are differences between doing it in person and online and how long you allow that to go. Because if you've got a two or three hour session and you run a separate group for two and a half hours, that's no good. You can't, you can't do that. You've got to, you got to come up with a way. And also you should, you should work to get them back together. It's not like on stranger things where they were, you know, an entire season apart in different groups until they got together at the end. You can't do that. You got to get them back together fairly soon. But, uh, and then of course, how soon is soon. So those are my things. I think you should, if the story demands it, split the party. It can be an effective tool, but boy, you do have to be careful to avoid those pitfalls. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, just I'm going to go sideways, of course, as always, because we're just starting. Why would we ever go in a straight line? If you think about something like a, like a Stranger Things or a TV show like that, or even let's say Lord of the Rings, right? Where they're literally on different paths until they reconverge. I think at that point, you're running a campaign with multiple parties and you're not at the same table. I mean, that's the way I would handle that. Because if there's that much of a separation, then they're really not together, right? Now, th now you could pull that off using like play by post or that kind of thing, possibly. Or maybe even you could do something like... Uh, like I'm just spitballing. Let's say you play online. You could do like one hour sessions for each of the parts of the group and schedule them all. Let's say on a Sunday and like one one group plays from four to five, then from six uh, five to six, and then from six to seven. Away. Like then you could that way you as a person, a GM, are only running one day and people aren't waiting around, right? That's a whole other thing. That might be something interesting to talk about. That's that's a whole yeah. other subject. But that, <laughs> that I just thought that as you were saying it. But <laughs> but in general, as far as like splitting the party for short periods. I think that it can be fun. And I actually, I like to do it as a GM to throw the party off. For instance, I will tell you the story that just happened in my campaign because it was really fun. They were like, all right, we want two of us are going to go and try to join the, the, the garrison of the evil high priest that they're trying to infiltrate. And we're going to go there and see if we can get jobs so we can spy. So they went in there and they're like, we're the greatest warriors and we can do this and whatever. And I rolled and I was like, I was like, I, I thought to myself, well, how long? Uh, you know, what day, like starting today, one through six, uh, before they'll actually have a job for them. I rolled a one. I was like, perfect. Sign this right here. Go in the back, get your horses. You're going out in the field for four days. Now, they're not with the rest of the party. The rest of the party's at the tavern, right? Now they're being assigned to now go out for four days in the field. They're getting what they want, but they're getting it now. 
And they don't want it now, right? They want it uh, in the future. So now they're thrown off and they're just like, what are we going to do? And of course, they figured out a way to do it. And then the rest of the party didn't have horses and they were trying to like beat them to get out to the field because it was a whole thing to save some allies. So it was this whole like mess where they were running around the city and then somebody else went a different direction. And because of all this and because of this time pressure, they had promised to help this one guy save his his wife who had been kidnapped. And he was like, I'll give you two days or else I'm going in by myself. Took them four days in the field because they had to chase their friends. When they came back, man hanging from the scaffold, right? They The guy died. And it was a massive consequence. And that's because they were forced to split up. Basically by me, they weren't forced. They could have stayed, but they had to make a choice. And I think splitting the party is a way to make it uh, add drama. And you can, you don't, it's not always, oh, there's two corridors and half the party goes one way and half the goes, they decided that. It could be they're spread out over the whole country. And balancing back and forth is the most important thing. Like at one point, both groups were chasing these these allies because the the the, the main group was trying to kill them, the, the ones that the, they had infiltrated, and the other ones were trying to warn them. And I was having them roll off each other to see who could find them first. So I'm going back and forth. And I think that's important, right? The The balance of... Keeping everybody in the action is the, mo- is the most difficult part. Well, and it's you're totally right in terms of, first of all, there's a whole other question which we'll do in another podcast about time and keeping track of time. You kept track of time. You said you didn't do your two days. You did four days. I, I, I'm always keeping track of time all the time. And things, once the players get involved with things, they start happening. They start moving. And, and in fact, my campaign, the players chose not to do uh, this one, go back into this, uh, spider hole they found and something's going to happen there. They're going to see because they didn't go back to do it. They decided to do this other thing and things are going to happen because it's now in progress. But in terms of splitting the party, I did two different versions of it. One, these guys wanted to help this little girl who's with this group that's notorious, you know, criminals and, you know, itinerants and, and uh, they chose to help her find her dad. The other group said, no way. And plus we have this wagon. So they go off on the wagon train and these guys go back. So what I did was they fought this spider and they had this battle. They got to the end and then I returned to the other group. Now they're at the thing. Uh, they have a, a battle there. Now, one of the characters died in this spider thing. So he rolled up a new guy. So I had him at the trading post, his character just sitting there. He didn't know this group. And when the battle started, he just joined up with him. It was a convenient way to do that. But I had to go back and forth. Then I had another situation where I had someone. Well, before, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but go ahead. So I'm curious about this because I did listen to the campaign thing. So knowing that battles in 5e can be time consuming, right? Not that they can't be in any game, but specifically in 5e, they, they can be half an hour, let's say, to fight a battle. Oh, yeah. What what was happening with the other group while the spider fight was going on? Did you just, they were just watching or did you occasionally they, check in with them? How did you do that? They were watching, they were listening, and it took about, you're right, about half an hour of them sitting there. Uh, they had to explore, they, they, uh, they, figuring out the spider comes out, they had this battle, and they all sat there patiently. And then I got to that point, and the guy was going to go in and look for the guy that was killed. I said, we stop. Now we go to the other side. So I managed, I think, I, I'm pretty sure they weren't bored, but I didn't keep it going. Logically, they should have. It was really at a critical, is he alive or dead? And I said, now we're going to stop. So it was a little bit of a drama there. They're all, they're waiting to see whether he's dead, right? So, but you're right. If you start to go more than that, and and boy, you better make it interesting. And, and you better figure out a way to go back and forth, which is what they do in movies too all the time, right? Exactly. And what's interesting about this, and I know I'm going to get back to what you're saying, is that 
it sounds to me like that's those are great players, you know, because one thing that I think is important as a player is you should care what's going on beyond your character. And like, so I often enjoy as a player listening to just another thing happening for 20 minutes, half an hour. I mean, I don't want to sit there all night, obviously. Some players aren't like that. They're anxious, you know. I mean, that good maybe isn't the right word, but, you know, they're just like, I want to play, I want to play. And they can be a little anxious. So I think it's tricky. You have to kind of watch your party and make sure that like, or the player, I should say, and make sure they're not like, Ugh, well, I'm not part of this fight, so I don't care. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll have things, you know, I want to make it fun. I guess you want to, I mean, you use minis and stuff, so maybe that makes it exciting, right? With the drawing and the minis and stuff. But like, you want to make the game fun for other people to watch, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and what the, the, it's a very interesting thing because so this is what I did for the second splitting up the party. One of the characters had this ring that she put on. It took her over, and she was called back to the tomb right in the middle of the night. She made her stealth check. The other player's perception. One player sort of was close, but but he woke up when she was gone, and she went to this temple. I did not run. What I did was I say you leave, and you're led to this thing. But I didn't run that. I just had the other players wake up and follow. They went back to the thing. They found her footsteps. They went up this thing. They found this hole. They went down and they discovered this whole thing. And there she is, the player. And she's like, look, we're going to be rich. Look at my new friends, these skeletons, right? And they're all like, oh, boy, here we go. Because now I could have run her. You walk along. You're drawn to the temple. Then you're drawn to this other area. Then you go down this hole. Then you And everyone's sitting there watching this. But storytelling-wise, I wanted that to be a surprise for the players. It didn't matter what her run was because she's sort of under the control of this item. And storytelling-wise, it was better for the players to re-find her little gnome footprints that go into this cave and go, oh, great, here we go. And then they go into the cave and they, you know, it's really creepy and everything. So, but that's an instance where I didn't split the, I split the party, but didn't at the same time because you, you're always trying to have that the group dynamic. It's always funnest when you're playing all together as a group, right? Instead of a split party. One hundred percent. And and again, I think that. And I, I mean, I think I've been very lucky. Like I say, many times I played mostly what I would call good players. So it's cool too that like because I can see some people being like, "Whoa, you took my agency. I should play my character, even though they're charm." You know, it, no. And like also like characters that are like players that get mad because they're not there, so they can't say something. Like getting a great group where it's like, like somebody's there and they like they're, they have, let's say you are running one person. Like for instance, in my game, at one point the elf like chased the guy out. This is how he first got the guy to wait two days. He was by himself. He was the only one that was awake. So it was like a five minute scene where he like role played with the guy and other people were like, you knew they wanted to say something like they like tell him this, but, the, but they weren't there. So they were, they were very good about not saying anything, you know? And then when he came back, they were like, Oh, he was like, okay, I tell them what happened. And they're like, oh, he could have, you know, he was like, oh, damn it, you know. But no, it's real good, you know. It's hard sometimes as a player not to like blurt out, tell them this, or, you know, the secret is this, you know. So it's good. It's good to know well, players are, are are playing the game, if you will, you know. Well, here's another question in terms of splitting the party. When you have information, when a player goes off and you don't want the rest of the group to see what is happening, because there's information there that they could knowledge there that they wouldn't have that person wouldn't be in the room so what traditionally we used to do is you'd go into another room and you and i bring my dice and we'd run it as you know, quickly i went i knew that i'm leaving the room and that this is really a killer if the gm is out of the room for the game to kind of really lag but i didn't want them to hear what this person it was up to them to recount it especially if they're dealing with some evil or whatever person that's maybe trying to manipulate them or give them information do you ever do that do you ever 
in a live game leave the room with a player to do something separate so i can only think of ever doing that one time and it was very specific right because there was something that was happening and it could have happened to the rest of the characters and the decision that they made affected it so basically i can't remember the exact circumstances what was going on but basically the character got like brought into this like underworld or something mentally and they had to make a choice they had to like answer questions or do something and based on what happened with them what they said different things happened to them when they came back. So, you know, nobody wants to meta. I mean, hopefully nobody wants to meta, but I didn't want other people to be like, oh, she said yes to this or no to this and didn't die. So that's good. You know, so in that case, I've done it, but normally I don't. I I think that I just trust that the players aren't going to, uh, you know, use the information. And while I think it's a good idea, I'm always nervous to just like leave the room because I do feel like I'm leaving the group, if you will. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's interesting though. I I think I probably should do that more. I just don't. <laughs> Here's the thing that I always think about. If you're, if you're being interrogated and they take the one guy out of the room and question him, and then they bring him back into the room and they take you out of the room and question him, you're wondering, what did that person say? What is going on? It's classic game theory. You know, John Nash talked about that. What's the better option there in a famous movie and all that stuff. Always keep your secret, you know, clenched between your teeth, as Nietzsche used to say. That adds that suspense of, well, what the hell happened? What is going on? You got to use it sparingly with all these things, too, you know, or a lot of things in D&D. If you use them sparingly, they have much more power. You take that person out of the room, they're like, oh, he's, he's leaving. Da-da-da-da-da. The person comes back, and I say, you can say what you want, or there's things that you can't say or whatever if you're under their control or something. They come back in, and now the players have this sense of suspense. What happened? And this can really be effective. But again, it's not a movie where you just switch a scene and switch back. It's a real life situation where those players are sitting in the room waiting. So, but as I say, I, I I have only used it one time so far in this new one. And in the past, there will be session after session where I don't use it. But then I have certain times where I think they should be, they should be suspenseful here. They should not know what happened in this, in this separate thing. So I guess what I'll say is this. So, so and this is interesting, too, because this might be a, a kind of, a, again, another side slide, is that um, it depends. Uh, for me, like, okay, so let's say, for instance, I know, again, based on your campaign report, there was a time where you pulled people because they rolled to see if they got charmed by the ring, right? That was one time right. I did it. So uh, I wouldn't do that because I would just roll. In, in other words, I wouldn't, I would just roll the saving throw for the character. And then I would know who was charmed and I would tell them only. Like I would send them, somehow let them know. And so, or I actually, like, let's say if let and again, I, I'm 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 super like listen to KR's <laughs> video to get all the details. But basically, right, the person got charmed by the ring. They took it back. Then they woke up in the middle of the night and disappeared. What I would have done there is I would have just rolled all the saving throws. Then, when the person was gone, I would have had just somebody in the room wake up and be like, "The gnome's gone." I wouldn't have even told the character their character was gone. I would have just been like, "The gnome is gone," and people would have been like, "What?" But I think because my players hopefully trust me enough they're okay with that like i know some people would not be they'd be like what hold on what my character's gone with it but that's how i do it right and so my thing was not only was i going to uh have this role but if you made the save you were going to have certain information about the ring its powers it's the way it tries to get to your mind and then when you blew the role you would have certain information so i made that decision but absolutely i will do all sorts of roles behind the screen as it were it's a game mechanic to have a secret role is just a game mechanic to say you wouldn't know that this is happening if unless you make your save. If you blow your save on a charm, oh, this is the greatest guy ever. But if you roll right there and you roll a two and you're like, well, that, it, it ruins it ruins the mechanic of a charm. 
right? If they know that they've been charmed. So, so I agree. I, I just had information there that I wanted to impart, but for sure, the problem with that, which you're talking about, which is good, is that they knew the ring was up to something when I'm leaving the room. So it, it, you can, there's always a trade-off. There's always a thing that they're going to metagame and go, that ring is trouble. Well, the fact that they get information if they pass their save, right, that does change some of the information. That, uh, right. I kind of left that up. But, right, because they would have all, although I guess if the person who failed to save doesn't get the same information, if everybody got the information, even the person that failed, then I would just tell everybody and be like, oh, you know, this ring tried to take you over. Right. <laughs> tried. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, yeah. and that's a whole nother great, right. great question about mechanic where you just go, you roll and you decide who, who's failed and whatever, but they all assume, oh, the ring tried, but you all succeed. And then you move on. Is that, is that cheating the group to then suddenly have the player disappear at night? And you said that you say, because you could just say, well, you thought you saved, you know, you, you sense that it tried to handle you, but part of the charm capability is you think you saved, right? You think you're fine. So uh oh, and that gives them a little sense of dread about well, whenever he says, uh, "You all say we." I don't, whenever he does secret roles, you really don't know what happened. Well, and what's interesting about it too is that I think that, like you said, which is a super important thing, is I don't do it that much. Like you, this can't be all the time. Like you definitely don't want this. Like all the time, somebody just disappears. It's like it's a special item. Something happened. It's very specific. You know, normally I would let people make saving throws because I don't care. Like I don't worry about the meta. But if I was really trying to like create something where there's much more of a mystery, you know, then I would probably just roll it. Like I said, and, and again, because of how it worked out, right? Somebody woke up, they saw the footprints, they saw they were missing, they could follow them. Like you said, you, you basically did a cutscene, right? Where they the gnome was gone anyways. The only difference would be, I just wouldn't have even told the gnome to woke up. I just would have been like, the gnome's gone. And then everybody at the table would have been like, what? Because <laughs> I know my players, and they probably would have been like, throwing drinks at me and stuff. And then, you know, then they would play. <laughs> right. And, I, and, and you're exactly right too, that I had a, a player many years for, for years and years loved him to death and he would metagame all the time. And, and uh, so I, I did develop a style over the years. I think that I'm always a little more concerned about metagaming, but you're right. I think, I also think modern players have a more of a, we don't metagame, at least the ones I've run into that we can't metagame. We can't metagame. And, and they'll say that I heard it online. I've heard it with my group. And so I don't know where that came from because maybe the, the war gamer crowd that I played with was always looking for that edge, that advantage or something, or they thought of it more as a game. And so I, I learned to techniques to, to prevent metagaming. And maybe uh, just in this discussion, I'm thinking to try a little more of what you're talking about and not, because again, I hate to leave the room. As you said, I hate that, but trying to pass notes, then you got to write the notes and then the person, I don't really get this or, you know, and then they or they miss, they don't, they don't understand it. And now you're sitting there going, oh, great. Plus you're passing a note anyway, but so you're still creating the same thing as leaving the room. Well, it's like paranoia. If you ever play paranoia and you're supposed to like pass notes to the GM or whatever, it's like you see somebody passing a note, which comes up actually, <laughs> they were talking about, I think on Cerebivore podcast, uh, they were talking about the idea of playing online. Like one advantage was that you can do that like secretly, right? You could be in yes. a Zoom meeting and send somebody a private note that says, and I have done that when I ran, oh God, I don't know if you were in that one. If you played when the... Uh, the wizard, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The wizard took over. <laughs> and that she did a great job. It was, it was. She did well. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, with the way that worked out when I because I ran the game in, uh, uh, I think it's that's Gen online. Con. You guys can check that out. I'll put a link. Uh, I, when I ran it at Gen Con, the guy right next to me happened to be the one that failed the save, and he was the quietest person the whole time. And he just was right next to me. And everybody else was talking, and when they were talking, I just turned to him and I was like, 
I slipped a piece of paper that said, you've been taken over. Like nobody noticed it. So like five, 10 minutes went by in the in-person group. And then all of a sudden somebody cast like detect evil or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, the cleric over here is evil. And you're like, they're like, what? It was like so funny. <laughs> it, was, it was, but like, I didn't know how I was going to do it in person. Cause online it definitely has that advantage. You can just send these private notes, which actually uh, to kind of put a bow on this, I guess, uh, I find that it's a little trickier to do the party splitting stuff online because I think being a spectator, you know, in through Zoom and hearing somebody role play, especially if you're just staring at a VTT in some ways, is much less interesting to me than sitting around a table hearing people talk, if you will. I don't know if you've experienced that or I, I one time I did a thing. We were online and the the uh, I think it was one player was went into a separate and it made sense as the splitting the parties often makes perfect sense. This person was determined to do something. And we said, I don't think that's a good idea. They did it. They went offline and we sat there and just chatted online on discord waiting for this to happen. And the GM did say to us in messaging, uh, we're, we're almost done or we're getting there, but it was like 20 minutes of sitting there just talking and uh, you know, it didn't help. We've only got that. Now here's the other thing about that campaign they would tend to go four or sometimes more hours. And I was like, I can only play three hours. I, I'm not going to sit here. And, and I, every time, three and a half, 345, I just started going, you know, I played the whole campaign, but I was definitely like, this guy needed to control that. And these are the kind of things, this splitting up and sitting there. And he did this, you know, it happened. And and I I could see why, because we had a lot of people that wanted to do stuff, you know, they and they, and also he, gave inspiration for things. And this is another t topic of, I guess it's a 5e thing, inspiration. He would give inspiration for stuff like that, which I was like, dude, you, you don't split the part. Don't, don't, don't uh, create opportunities for solo play, which is another, I know we're putting a bow on this, but you have players, I think that will do things to split the party more. Some players will do things to split the party more than others. Right. Well, what's interesting about it is that this is, again, maybe another topic, as we, well, a bunch of topics coming up, is when you reward players or PCs for something, they will do it. So if you yes. reward them for doing these zany things or splitting the party, then they're going to do it. So unless you want that to be a regular thing, you got to be careful about that. Like if it's like every time you run off and do your own thievy thing and you're picking pockets in town, I'm going to give you inspiration. It's like, well, now everyone's sitting there watching this thief pickpockets. That's not interesting to us. You, you, you can't say, I'm not going to let you go off and steal, right? But you can say, that's a risky endeavor. So when you go to steal, they, you may get caught. Someone's watching you that's a better rogue than you are. They grab you and do something bad to you. Now, of course, now you're splitting the party because now they've been arrested. Now they've been this. So if that right. player then turns right around, We've, we've totally had to change the game. The players had to come. They had to get them out of jail or do some task or anything else. And they turn right around. And first of all, you're not going to give them inspiration for that or whatever. You're not going to reward them. Because maybe you take some magic at it. And the person says, you know what? This plus two dagger. Okay, thank you for the dagger. You're free to go. And then the person wanders off. And they've taken all their money. And maybe they you know, slapped them around a bit. They didn't do anything. But that, and the person comes back to the group and says, hey, you know what? I just found out don't steal from the... X group, you know, or whatever. You're discouraging it in a realistic way, right? Uh, but again, if they turn around and do that again and keep splitting the party, then you got to do something. 100%. I think one way to handle these things, if somebody wants to split the party and it's not going to be fun for everybody, it doesn't make sense for the game, you can do it really simply. Like, you don't, if somebody says, I'm going to go out and pick pockets all night, then you can just say, all right, roll a d20, dc15, you know, whatever. They, they, they succeed. 
you got five gold pieces. They fail by whatever, you got arrested, you know, whatever. And that's it. Like that, that's what you get. You get a minute of table time for your picking pockets because that has nothing to do with the rest of the game, especially if it's something that happens a lot. You know, it's different if everybody's on board. Everybody's like, oh man, you got to pick pocket, you know, but you got to, you got to feed, you got to read the table. You know, does everybody want to sit there while the thief is picking somebody's pocket? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, and I think that's that's a big part of the game, right? It's, it's, a, it's a group game, right? Uh, oftentimes we think uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, ourselves, <laughs> and, you know, in, in life, right? But when you're thinking about a group, you have to see who's what's fun for us. If everybody enjoys yes. when the bard goes off and performs songs in the bard and he's getting all this, uh, you know, solo play time in a sense, but the rest of the group is like, yeah, this is great, whatever. Fine, cool. If the bard keeps doing that and everybody in the group is like, oh, can we just get on with the adventure? Then you got to just be like, all right, we're rolling dice or we're just, you know, we're doing a minute of role play and you're done. Like that's, you know, that's a balance. If you're out with a group on the town and somebody says, oh, look at this clothing store. And two of the people want to shop and start looking at clothes. And the other three people are sitting there going, I thought we were going to go to this restaurant. or I thought we were going to go to the right. And, and they, because I had a campaign where every time we went into town, it was an online campaign I played in. We went shopping. And, and each player would individually go, because we'd get gold, to buy items. And they would haggle, and they would do this. And we all had to sit there. This took like half an hour of game time. And I was always like, just say, what do you want? Here's how much it is. Roll a haggle roll if you must. And let's freaking move on. You know, it's happening. I mean, I was just like, oh, my God, we're going to shop again. So, but they, these other players enjoyed this. They enjoyed this. And the GM had all his funny voices for the shopkeepers. And and then sometimes there'd be information and stuff, but the information wasn't worth a half an hour of shopping, you know? So, uh, and that was the group, you know, that was everybody. Cause I, of course, when it was my turn, I thought, well, I got to buy something and everyone else is doing it, but I would rather just, what can I buy? Okay, here it is. Let's go. That's splitting the party because we were, that's where we're all doing an activity in theory together, but each person has to go through this thing. And it just, to me, it was the most boring thing. Right. And in a way, even though you were all in one space, you were splitting the party in the worst possible way because it was a way that not everybody enjoyed it. It didn't really push progress the story. And who cares about shopping? I mean, some people probably love shopping, but it just feels like that wasn't the ideal situation for the whole table. And I think that's a good, again, putting a bow on it. I think I should keep saying that today. Uh, <laughs> we put a it, bunch of bows. There's a whole bunch of bows on this thing. There's so many bows. <laughs> is that basically, if you're going to split the party, it needs to be interesting for everybody who's not part of it. It needs to be, it needs to have a reason. And we need to make sure that it's not just a player trying to do the, uh, look at me constantly and, and taking away from the rest of the group. And that that's really the balance point as a GM is, is looking at all those factors. Because you're there as a referee, right? You're going to balance that. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call. There's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube, KR at D&D Homebrew, and myself at Bandits Keep. Those are all linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. We'll see you next week.